You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am thrilled to introduce you to Drew Dudley, who has been called one of the most dynamic speakers in the world. He is on a mission to help people unlearn some dangerous lessons about leadership. As the founder and chief catalyst of Day One Leadership, he has helped top organizations around the world increase their leadership capacity. His select clients have included McDonald's, Coca-Cola, American Express, J.P. Morgan Chase, Procter & Gamble, and hundreds of colleges and universities. Drew is also the best-selling author of This Is Day One, A Practical Guide to Leadership That Matters. It debuted at number six on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And as a speaker, Drew has delivered keynotes to more than 250,000 people across five continents. And his TED Talk, Everyday Leadership, The Lollipop Moment, was voted one of the 15 most inspirational TED Talks of all time. Now, this is a very special episode because today, my son, Caden Kovacs, will actually be leading the interview. So Caden heard Drew speak at a leadership conference recently, a student leadership event that he attended, was really inspired, was really moved. And so together we thought, why not try out interviewing and doing your first podcast? So I am thrilled to introduce you to Cademan, who will be leading the interview today. Drew, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for all the support and inspiration that you bring students and, of course, adults as well. So those that are in agency, in creative, in marketing, owning your business, leading a small team, a large team, a micro team, even leading yourself, this interview is for you. Without further ado, Cayman, take it away. Thank you. Drew, like people actually like think of leadership. Some of them think about helping others towards a goal or just like a singular goal, whether that be in the workplace or at school. But how is leadership more diverse than that? And like how other ways can we implement that in our day-to-day lives? Yeah, I mean, you said it when most people think about leadership. I think we have to recognize that anytime we say most people think anything, one, we're probably overstating it. But two, what we're reflecting on is what has become culturally accepted, mostly because of how we were taught about it. So when most people think a certain way, it's because we've been taught to think that way. And one of the things that I really try to work on with my work is to, it was in the bio, unlearn some dangerous lessons about leadership. And one of the things I really believe is that the examples we use to describe leadership to people when they're young, not only is that shaping how people think about leadership for the rest of their life, it's really limiting it. And when we teach leadership as an exclusionary thing, as it's a small group that not everyone can or should get into, and part of the reason we teach it is we're trying to motivate people to work, quote unquote, harder to earn these rewards, what we're actually doing is teaching a really exclusionary type of leadership that says only certain people can or should be leaders. And honestly, I'm not saying in my work that everyone can or should be a CEO or senior executive. I'm saying there's a form of leadership to which we all can and should aspire. And the way that most of us think about leadership in this exclusionary box is because we were taught to look at it that way. We were taught to look at it that way as a way of people pushing us in their minds to be our absolute best. Because unless there's limited resources where the first people there get them, people somehow won't work hard enough, which I don't actually believe is the case. I believe there's a form of leadership that we can define by looking at how people behave on a day-to-day basis and specifically looking at how many of these moments of impact they create, moments of compassion, of recognition, of growth, of empowerment. 
I think that is a form of leadership to which we all can and should aspire. And I think we've been taught to ignore. We've been taught to see as less than because we've sort of been taught in this world to only celebrate things that hardly anybody can do, only to celebrate accomplishments that happen very infrequently. And as a result, most of us devalue most of the most impactful stuff that we do. So that's what I want to talk about when I talk about leadership is how are you actually behaving on a given day that matters? Because far too many people are equating leadership with titles and influence, and it's actually not wielded in a particular beneficial way on any given day. Like you get the title and now you've got it for life. So why bother continuing to do the things that got you there? And that I think is a type of leadership that makes most people feel it's not part of their life. And I really want to change that. And I also promise I'll give other answers that aren't nearly as long as that one. That was an awesome answer though. Thank you. That described a lot. Talking about everyday leadership, why do you feel that that is more impactful in everyone's day-to-day lives than those big differences that people can make like once in their lifetime? And how would you describe it and like convince someone that those small things that they can do every day and how they act every day is more impactful than those big moments that not everyone is able to achieve? Yeah, I think one of the things I would stay away from is things like big, small, little, right? Like you said, how do you convince people it's these little things? They're not little, they're simple. And I think there's a difference between those things. Maybe one of the ways to answer that is someone posed this sort of hypothetical to me once in my travels when I was talking to them. And I'm sure other people have heard it at some point. But he asked me, hey, can you tell me the last five winners of the best actress Oscar? And I couldn't. Like, can you tell me the past five winners of the Nobel Peace Prize? And I couldn't do it. The past five winners of the Pulitzer couldn't do it. And then they say, can you give me the name of five teachers who you know, still have an influence on the way you look at the world? Can you give me the names of five people who were there for you at some of the most difficult times in your life? Can you give me the names of five people who made you feel like less than you are and really negatively impacted you? And a lot of us have trouble giving the names in the first case but we can rhyme off those in that second group, no problem. And yet those in the first one, those are the ones that we're taught to try to emulate. Those are the ones that get given to us as examples when we're kids. Those are the leaders. And yet we can't remember their names. It's because there's a difference between profile and actual impact. And those people have a lot of profile in this world. They're held up as the very top of their profession. But the impact they actually have on our day-to-day lives and how we feel aren't actually that significant. And so while they might always be in the news, how our lives are actually impacted is relatively minimal. And yet we put most of our focus into trying to become like them and accomplishing those things so that we're seen as having profile and influence, as opposed to recognizing that the biggest influence on how you felt today certainly didn't come from someone famous. And yet that's the best way I can describe it, is when you list the five or 10 most influential moments or interactions in your life, usually famous people aren't part of that answer. And so what I always try to do is tie it back to what has impacted you the most. And I do say, let's stay away from more important or less important or bigger or smaller. I'm not saying that individual moments of impact are more important than you know, putting together an organization or building a podcast that reaches all kinds of people. The things that we accomplish over blocks of time, I do not intend to minimize those. What I'm trying to get people to realize is that anything that comes out over a block of time is the byproduct of the daily behaviors that we put into it. And so the only way to maintain momentum in that day-to-day grind 
is to start recognizing that it's the consistency in those days that leads to the big stuff. Like leadership isn't in the big things, it's in the consistent things. So how can we more consciously pay attention to those? I'm not saying they're bigger, I'm not saying they're smaller, but I am saying they are more frequent. And that if we start to look at the things we've been taught are the goals of leadership, money and power and influence, and instead we start to realize that all of those things are the natural byproducts that come from dedicated daily behavior, I think we start to realize that where the actual hard work has to come is in being more deliberate and more consistent in the daily behavior. And that is accessible to all of us. I think the biggest difference between this big picture leadership we've been taught and what I try to focus on is a recognition that most of the sources of power on the planet are inaccessible to most of the people on the planet. Like almost every source of power has systemic barriers between that power and most of the people on earth. But the ability to create daily moments of powerful impact, that type of power has access for everybody. And so the idea that maybe we should start talking a little bit more about helping people recognize that, engage in that type of behavior, and celebrate it as impactful, I think we're actually going to influence more people. Because when we talk about leadership in this small box, what we're doing is we're catering to a relatively small group of people as opposed to recognizing that we need to, I think, make more people aware of the power that they have in their own lives and over the impact in lives of other people. I think that's really, really crucial. So it's not bigger, it's not smaller, it's not little things, it's simple things. But the idea is that this form of leadership is not getting the attention it deserves, which means that large portions of the planet aren't paying attention to leadership at all as part of their identity because ages ago they were convinced it's not part of who they are and shouldn't be, and that they're wrong for thinking it. And that, I think, we could start to work on. Makes sense. Yeah, I think that that calling it small movements makes it a lot more sense because they aren't small in that grand scheme of things, and they are much more impactful if we can do them in those big ways or do them every day. When you're talking about how it's available to everyone compared to those big picture leadership ideas, would you say like leadership looks the same for everyone? Or would you say in those little moments, it's different for everyone? You see how deeply embedded it is? You still call it little. And I mean, I'm not harping on you at all. I'm just like, it's so weird. It's like a guy who taught me once, if you fold your arms one way and then just try to fold them the other, like if you're crossing your arms in front of you and then you try to do it the other way, how weird it feels. Like any way of adjusting what's normal to us feels really uncomfortable. And changing the way we talk about leadership, even in those simple words, it's so hard because it's deeply ingrained. As ingrained as how it is to cross your arms, as ingrained as it is to call those things little, that's how ingrained it is for people to not embrace the idea that what they're engaging in is leadership. And no, it doesn't look the same for everybody. So what I talk about is saying, all right, the phrase, I'm the type of person who, is almost always followed by a lie. Like what's true about who you are and what your character is it isn't announced to the world. It's, it's demonstrated through your actions. And so when I talk about everyday leadership, what I try to talk about is getting people to think about what the values they want to define them are every day. Like, let's actually get specific about at the end of the day, if you could only live up to one value or two, what would they be? And then actually creating a process so that you, you do it. Because I don't know the secret to happiness. I don't know the secret to not feeling crappy about yourself. 
But I do know that one of the keys to unhappiness is when a gap starts to form between the person that you want to be and how you're actually behaving and you become aware of the gap. And once you know it's there, you never really feel as good about yourself as you want to. And so for me, when we talk about what everyday leadership looks like, it starts by asking yourself, all right, what are the key values I want to embody every day of my life? What, is it integrity? Is it accountability? Is it honesty? For me, it's impact and growth, courage, empowerment, class, self-respect. Like I've said, these are the things I want to stand for. And even if everything outside of my control on a given day blows up in my face, I want to be able to say at least one or two of those things was a part of my day. Because I think we spend a lot of time trying to live up to the people we want to be when we have extra time. And we don't have a lot of extra time. So what your everyday leadership looks like is going to be different for you compared to everybody else. But what I try to get people doing is thinking about what kind of words do I hope to live up to every day? What kind of value concepts? Figure out what they are. Define what it means. Integrity is a commitment to what? Like, how do you fill in that, that sentence? Courage is a commitment to what? All of these words we use to judge ourselves and whether or not we're living up to the leadership and the values we want, most of the time we can't even define them. So I like asking people, all right, if you want to know what your daily leadership looks like, imagine someone followed you around for 30 days out of your life and they saw every interaction you're part of, public, private, online, every way you interact with people that you know, that you don't know, that you like, that you don't like, they see every behavior that you engage in. And you have no idea. At the end of those 30 days, if I sat that person down and said, all right, based only on this person's behaviors and their priorities, what values are most important to them? Like, What values do they want to leave in their wake? Which ones do they pivot to whenever they have to make the biggest decisions in their life? What values would your behaviors reveal to someone watching you? And are those the ones you care about? And if people say, okay, I want to stand for integrity and I want to stand for impact and I want to stand for innovation, all right? Finish the sentence. Innovation is a commitment to what? Impact is a commitment to what? And then once you have that definition, what we need to be able to do is every single day, no matter what else is going on in your life, you have to be able to prove to yourself that you created one moment that lives up to those core values. And I try to teach a psychological process that makes it less likely that you'll forget or you won't make time for it. But your daily leadership looks like which values you want to put into the world. That's what your daily leadership should look like. And maybe empowerment is more important for you and courage is more important for me. Neither one of those are better or worse than the other, but they have to be personal. They have to be such that if you give yourself evidence you're living them, you're going to feel good about that. Because when you engage in something and it makes you feel good, you'll do it more often. So start with the values you want to stand for. Start by defining the things you want to define you. And we can't just use these words that sound good, integrity and accountability and equity. We actually define what it means. And then we actually have to prove to ourselves we're engaging in it every day. So that on the days where everything you can't control blows up, at least you can say, yeah, but look, in these moments, I was the person I wanted to be. Sometimes that's all we get in a given day. And I think taking the effort to make sure you can prove that to yourself, that is personal leadership. And that is not a lesser form of leadership. It's a different type that we've been taught about, but it applies to more people. So why aren't we talking about it more? Yeah, I think applying your daily leadership and finding those values is super important. 
And I know when you're talking about those values, and even the talk I heard you talk about, you're saying that questions are what drive us every single day. And I know you are able to link some of those values to questions. So how are you able to do that? And how do we use those questions to drive us? Well, here's what it is, right? Life and work and school will always get in the way, right? Like it's so distracting. Life is basically like an unending, an unending parade of distractions that get in the way of what we meant to get done, right? And some of those distractions are awesome. So that's what makes life amazing, right? It's really getting to choose which distractions you're going to focus on on any given day. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. But one thing I want to make sure of is that acknowledging that life's going to be filled with those distractions. How do we identify certain things that always have to happen no matter what else pulls us away? And the reason I talk about questions is when we went out the first time we ever tried to close this gap between who we wanted to be and the way we were behaving. And I guess I should say, when I say we, I mean a group of senior leadership students at the University of Toronto. We said, okay. Here, we're going to identify, we want to go out and have impact every single day. So go do it. The problem was, we would forget about it all day. And then at the end of the day, we'd, we'd look back and we'd be like, okay, when did I have a moment of impact? When did I create a moment that made other people feel like they were better off for interacting? And we could always pick one. 
But the problem is that we were using this value that we thought was so important and we were applying it to behavior that had already happened. And what leaders do is they use their values to drive behavior. So the reason we weren't remembering who we wanted to be because of all the distractions and we needed a way to cut through that. So I actually asked the psych department to help me out with trying to come up with a behavioral psychology trick that would make it more likely that what we consciously wanted to do would actually happen. And we cut through all the distractions. And what they taught me was the power of the unanswered question. And basically what we mean by that is the human brain hates unanswered questions. It can't stand them. If you have a question and you work on it and you, don't, and you can't get it, I think we believe that we forget about it and move on. But we don't. What happens is the brain shoves it to our subconscious and it keeps working at it. It constantly keeps trying to come up with an answer without our knowledge. If it can't come up with them, it just makes one up, convinces us that it's true. But your brain won't let go of a question. That's why we can remember the name of an actor or an actress 24, 48 hours after we think we've given up on remembering it. Because your brain works on questions in the subconscious. What's really important for what we try to do, though, is that your brain will change your behavior without your knowledge to try to find an answer to a question. So what we did is instead of chasing values, we converted values into questions, questions that were put together really carefully so that you can't answer the question without living the value. And the first one we ever did was impact. And you got to define your value. So we said it's a commitment to creating moments that cause people to feel like they're better off for having interacted with you. And then we made a question that was tied to that value, one that we couldn't answer without living it up, living up to it. So the question we created was, what have I done today to recognize someone else's leadership? And if you look at that question, you realize it's almost impossible to answer it without creating a positive moment for someone, right? Like I can't tell you that the way you do your job, that the way that you give people the opportunity to share ideas, that the way that you give people the chance to create an avenue to empowering other people, what you're doing through this podcast, I can't tell you that what you're doing here is leadership and not have a positive impact on how you think of yourself. At least I hope so. You can't tell someone they're a leader and not make them feel better about themselves. And so you can't answer that question without living up to the value. But it's so much more specific than going out and chasing impact, right? It makes it much harder for you to forget it. And because we have a question that's in our brain and it showed up on our phones, you know, three or four times a day to remind us, our brain was desperately looking for a chance to create, to seize, to take advantage of an opportunity to recognize someone else's leadership. We were desperately looking for it because our brain was uncomfortable not having an answer. And as a result, we were way more likely to actually go out and recognize other people's leadership. The difference in the two experiments when we went out and tried to have impact versus going out and trying to answer that question, night and day. It was three or four times more effective at making us actually do it. And so that became the approach that we take. You take a value, you define it, and you turn it into an action-driving question. One that starts with, what did I do or how did I? And it becomes a question that you can't answer it without living a value. And because your brain is really uncomfortable with that question existing unanswered, it will try to find ways to answer it. You're out looking for ways of living your values without your knowledge. That's why questions were such an important part of the entire process that we do. 
Yeah, questions are really powerful. And trying to answer those every day, I realized like after the talk that I listened to you with you, I took a couple of them that I could remember in my head and try to do them every day. And just by doing like at least one out of the six, I think that I heard from you, it was just such an impactful thing. And I felt like I had like a purpose or I was successful that day just by answering one of those questions. It was such an amazing feeling. And I could almost feel my brain working subconsciously towards those questions. It was an amazing feeling. Let's see, that's it's awesome that it stuck with you, right? Because and just so people know, like there's what we did is we had, we had picked six values that were close to me, and I give them as examples, right? Like you should help. My job is to help people figure out their own values and create their own series of questions, right? But what you're referencing, just so people know, is this thing I call the leadership test, which is a series of six questions like that impact one I gave you. Six questions, each one tied to a different value. So there's impact, of course, but there's also growth and courage, empowerment, class, and self-respect. And the idea is that when you give yourself a series of questions that are tied to your values, you give yourself this leadership test every day where you try to get you know, a passing grade. So if you got three questions, you try to get two. If you got four, you try to get two. Five, you try to get three. And that's your challenge for yourself every day. And by tying your questions and this test to the values you care about, what you're effectively doing is demanding of yourself that you prioritize your to-be list at the same level as your to-do list every day, right? Because I think most of our priorities and decisions on any given day, they're driven way more by what we have to do than the people we want to be. We focus on doing the stuff that we want to do like it, or growing into the person we want when we have extra time. And my argument is we will never have extra time. So you got to create this way of weaving your values into your daily work. And so I got six questions and all of them I can answer through my job. Whatever it is you got to do every day, you find a way to answer these questions. You know, and so the audience knows it's what have I done today to recognize someone else's leadership does impact? What did I do today to make it more likely someone would learn something is for growth? What did I try today that might not work, but I tried it anyway for courage? There's what did I do today to move someone else closer to a goal for empowerment? When did I elevate instead of escalate today for class? Elevate means trying to succeed. Escalate means trying to win. And self-respect is what have I done today to be good to myself? And the idea is, is that with those six questions, every day I think to myself, imagine I had to prove that I deserve tomorrow every night. Before, the, like, before I go to bed, I got to prove I deserve to get up the next day. And the way to prove it is I got to have a passing grade on that test. I got to get three of those questions answered out of six. And that means that no matter how different every day is, there are certain things that always have to stay the same. I have to get three of those six. And even when everything outside of my control blows up, at the end of the day, I can say, yeah, but I got these three. So at least I have momentum moving forward as a person even if I feel like my professional life, my personal life, my financial life was stuck in the mud today, at least my concept of who I am in terms of my character, my morals, however you want to call it, at least I know that move forward, even if everything else went all to hell. Pardon the expression, right? Because we all have those days. We're like, wow, nothing worked today. Nothing. Yeah, but you were a person of empowerment today, even for one second. It means the day wasn't a waste. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that some days are losses. But I think if we don't give ourselves at least one or two moments where we can recognize that we were a decent person, we start to look at those days like they're a waste. 
And if you string enough wasted days together in your mind, it really changes how you think about yourself. And it makes you feel less of yourself, which means you treat other people with less respect. To give ourselves just one or two moments to recognize where we were people of worth every day, we can still acknowledge that some days in our lives are losses, but they're not wastes. And I think that's a really important mental distinction. Because you can lose a few in a row, but you played, you know, like you put in an effort. Wastes are different. It just feels different. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, and with that test that you're talking about, I feel like when I tried to implement that through my day-to-day life, which is the questions that you just said right now, I feel like those days and that outlook on life wasn't just like, I got through the day or I had a bad day, I had a good day. It was, what did I do today to make an impact? And just by making those questions part of my day-to-day life, made it so like I actually had a purpose to live up to and my outlook on life was just somehow always positive no matter what actually happened because I had those questions to drive me all the time. And that's awesome. And like, hey, look, just if anyone's listening, like if you jumped in with all six, like that's, you're skipping over a bunch of steps and that's awesome. Like some people are like, I can do this. I love all six. I don't feel overwhelmed. But for anybody else, just just pick one. Like pick one for a month because I didn't start with six questions. The students and I, we started with one and then we did it for a month and it was such a good feeling like you were just talking about that we said, okay, let's add a second and then let's add a third. So if you're out there listening, like just start with one for 30 days. If you spend 30 days each day recognizing the leadership of someone else in your life, like things get better with that question alone because the world's just surrounded by amazing people who contribute to our lives and they would never call themselves leaders. And I think one of the things I always try to say is is leadership recognized as leadership created, right? We're trying to build more leaders in our organizations, in our lives. Let's do a better job recognizing the stuff that's already there. Because if we start to recognize that moments that matter and have impact our leadership, we start to realize there are a lot more leaders surrounding us and that everybody benefits when that leadership is pointed out. The people who are experiencing it and the people who are creating it. When we create a moment of positive feelings about something, we make it way more likely it's going to happen again. And that's just natural human psychology. So the fact that you're saying it worked for you, like that is awesome for me. But if any of you out there are like, that's a lot of questions, I don't have time. Cool, pick one. And like, just pick, like, what have I done today that might not work, but tried anyway? I've had people who went on an entire vacation and they said that was their mantra. They went down to Florida and their entire week in Florida, that was their mantra, was every day, like, what am I going to try that might not work, but tried it anyway? And they just got so much free stuff and they got to skip to the front of lines and get backstage tours. Like that question has had so many cool moments for me. Even here in Vegas, I got a chance to get like taken into a, like a downstairs secret restaurant just by like walking up to someone and being like, I heard that there's a secret behind that freezer wall. I would like to see it if you were willing. And like, they're like, well, you're supposed to have like this password or like apply ahead of time. But yeah, come on, let's go. And I get to go check out this amazing thing that hardly anyone gets to see in Vegas because you ask. But we got educated into believing that asking for something, if there's not a good chance we'll hear a yes, is some sort of indication that like we're stupid or that being told no on something you asked for is an indication that you didn't deserve it. Not that maybe just that person can't offer it right now. Like those types of questions break us out of these untaught lessons that inherently keep us 
from chasing the things that would make our lives better because we've internalized the fact that we don't deserve them and that you don't deserve these things until some external individual or organization bestows upon you something, whether it's the right number of letters after your name or a cool enough title in your organization or a high enough paycheck. We've internalized the idea that why we matter is supposed to be evaluated externally. And it is arrogant of us to decide for ourselves why we matter. And what I'm trying to do with the leadership test, which is what I call these series of questions, is to give people a tool they can use every day that works on days you don't have extra time, that can be worked in through your work as opposed to in addition to it. I'm trying to give us all a pathway to evidence that we matter. Let me ask you both this, all right? Because I asked this question in the presentation you saw, but you didn't get to answer. So let's, let me ask you this, my friend. Why do you matter? Because I'm able to make a difference in the world. Because by being alive, I'm changing the world for the better. I feel See, like this would be my yeah. answer. You had two different tenses there because you have the ability to change the world, which is a possible. And then you said, because I make a difference, which is declarative, which is like present tense, because you do make a difference. 95% of the people to whom I pose that question can't give me an answer. And that bugs me, right? Like you're clearly an accomplished person, right? You clearly are. And, and Darian, I'd love to hear you. Like, like why do you matter? For, let, forget it. Let's just, me shut up for a second. Why do you matter, Darian? I think because I'm alive and I was made for a reason. Yeah. The, the thing is, we tell her, and they're very broad strokes, but it's hard for us to prove that to ourselves every day. Like the whole idea of the leadership test is an evidence generator, right? Like, because you, you, you have the ability, right? Like I can make a difference in the world. And inherent in, in all of the answers people give me is a hope, right? Like I hope. I have the chance. Like my very existence gives the opportunity for this. Hope is awesome. Like we should foster hope in our lives, lives and everybody that we touch. But it's such a bad strategy. Like hope is such a bad strategy. And I guess my thing is like, don't hope to matter and hope to lead and hope to make a difference. Like plan to matter, plan to lead and plan to make a difference. But those plans shouldn't be about what you're going to achieve and acquire one day over blocks of time. Like planning to matter every day should be about each day. You know what I mean? And that if you dedicate yourself to mattering daily, all that other stuff that we don't know about long-term, it takes, I don't like the phrase, it takes care of itself, but it's far more likely to come about as a byproduct, right? But we tend to focus on our leadership over blocks of time. Like what have I accumulated and achieved over this semester or quarter or year or five-year strategic plan, whatever it is. The idea of the leadership test and looking at leadership as individual moments is that it, you can more easily manage what you want to become by breaking it down into these little pieces, right? Like day one leadership, I call it that because there's something different about the first day of anything because there's no one day in anything like our, our finances or our mental or physical health or you know, our careers, there's no one day that doesn't start with day one, all right? This is the first day. And there's so much commitment and humility and forgiveness in day one. But like you're really clear on what you have to do because it's brand new, right? So if you're trying to lose weight, day one is like, okay, I'm going to exercise more and eat a little bit less today. Your leadership, okay, like I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to start establishing what it is I want to do every single day to make a difference. And a part of what I talk about, it comes from, you know, the fact that I'm a recovering alcoholic is that, okay, when you're an alcoholic and you don't want to drink anymore, all you focus on is today. Don't have a drink today. That is a decision over which you have power today. You've done it for five years in the past, doesn't matter. Today's decision matters. You have three, four, five, 10,000 more days left in your life, doesn't matter. All that matters is today. Can't rest on your laurels from the past, can't get overwhelmed by the future. One decision today. Leadership is about making that decision today as well. What are the non-negotiable behaviors that will be a part of every day moving forward? On the good days, that's awesome. On the bad days, we're not going to get distracted. These will still happen. Put enough of those day ones together. What you're doing every day is proving that you matter, making it more likely you'll do it again, and building up this momentum that will consistently put you in a good place in the future, even if you don't know what the future holds. That, I think, is what's so key. You matter because you're doing things every day that impact other people. We all do it. Too much of it is an accident. We live our values whenever we get the chance. That's awesome. What I guess I'm trying to say is don't just live your values whenever you get the opportunity. Create opportunities to do it. Make those creations non-negotiable, not just when you have extra time. And what happens is you're giving yourself evidence that you matter. So that when someone asks you that question, you don't have to sort of come up with an answer on the spot. You can say, because I plan to, and here's how I executed that plan every day. Yeah, I think that plan to do something every day, like you're saying, it's not about tomorrow or it's not what do I do in the next week. It's about what the decisions I'll make today. That's just such a like impactful thing that we can actually use in our day to day. Because I think the actual act of like having this huge business or like supporting a thousand people in this one way that I want to is so scary and so like challenging to almost take on. Those day to day activities seem like not so much easier in a way, but they're it can be more impactful within your life because you can do them. And if you plan to actually find yourself doing them throughout the day, which I felt was amazing. It's momentum, man. Five, exactly. like five-year momentum is way more important than five-year plans. Like momentum is key. And like the reason I want to talk about doing it today is like the last two years, more than anything, have showed us like we have no idea what's coming. Like, and that was so frustrating, right? When you're like, I don't know what the future holds. So what the hell am I supposed to do today? Because what if what you do today messes up the future, right? But honestly, you know what started doing it? Not just when I stopped drinking, but when I lost like the woman I loved, like when, when she passed away, what they told me afterwards is like, just find a way to, to fill an hour and then just find a way to fill it like half a day, an afternoon, then find a way to fill today and get through that. And then what'll happen is you just keep momentum going because when every version of your future gets blown up, you don't know what to do in the present, right? It's like, if anyone's lost someone very suddenly, you know that feeling of, I don't know what to do. Like, I just, I just don't know what to do. What I think is really helpful is when you have these non-negotiable behaviors tied to your values every day, even when you don't know what the bigger picture holds for the future, you at least have a roadmap on how to act today, right? So it's not just about getting better it's also about having clarity on what you need to do each day when there's a lot of uncertainty around your professional life, your financial life, your relationships. Like I didn't know what to do every day. I woke up in the morning when she was gone, but then I would look and say, okay, I have no idea what the future holds. So today I'm going to make sure I get these three things done. 
So at least I'll be proud of the guy I am when I get there. So for anybody who doesn't know what the future holds, at least this gives you clarity on how to know that you're keeping momentum up for yourself as a person every day. Make decisions based not on how well they fit with your plans. Make decisions based not on which ones are going to avoid the most consequences. Make decisions based on which will generate the most momentum and which decisions generate the most options. And I think that we get too wrapped up in our plans. And so we don't give possibilities that weren't part of the plans really a good review when they come up. So one of the things that I really believe great leaders do is one, they focus on generating daily momentum. And two, they evaluate opportunities and decisions based on which one of these will generate the most momentum and and or which one of these will generate the most options. Because some decisions might seem better in the short term, but they they only generate one option. If you go that path, one thing has to happen. But if you take this option, there are three different options that emerge out of that and the next decision. And I think really great leaders make decisions based on momentum and options, not necessarily on plans or short-term gain. That's amazing. I feel like when you're talking about momentum, I found it almost like scary in a way for myself. When I like I looked at my values or someone like every day almost like saying like, like, what can I do beforehand when I saw your talk? And then like when you gave me those questions or when you gave me the idea of like having questions tied to your values, it made it so it's like something I can achieve every day instead of having to like have my value maybe be self-respect as one of your leadership test questions being. And then it's like in this month, maybe I got a six pack because I respected myself and I worked out and I like I had a couple like fun times where I just ate a bunch of food and those like moments. But it's like those daily things that I can always do and always making a part of it. I felt like I can actually work towards my values instead of just having to like somehow tie them in. And those questions were just so impactful for that. Just for like people who have their own values, because I know that leadership test was amazing for me. And I still only like try and do one question a day. For those people who have maybe separate values, although the test is amazing, how would you suggest they come up with those questions? Like, how do they tie those in? Because you were in Toronto psychology ward, and you were able to make these amazing questions that challenge like, probably thousands of people, or maybe even like tens of thousands of people around the world. But how can people come up with their own questions for those certain values that they hold dear? Awesome. Okay, step one, define the value. So whatever value you hold dear, imagine someone comes up to you and says, English isn't my first language. Could you explain what that means in the simplest terms possible? And start with three words, a commitment to. So integrity is a commitment to what? Family is a commitment to what? Honor is a commitment to what? Because you got to define what they mean because you can't hit a target that isn't defined, right? You'll never give yourself credit for it. So step one, define your values. Then once you have what it's a commitment to, the goal is to create a question that one, can't be a yes, no question. So uh, did I show integrity today? No. Did I create a moment where I recognize someone's leadership today? Yes. You see how they don't actually drive behavior because you can just answer them yes or no. So make your question to start because this takes practice. How did I or what did I do today? All right, let's actually do an exercise on this. Let's say that one of your core values was gratitude, okay? So gratitude. You define what gratitude means. So let's say a commitment to recognizing positive moments in your life, okay? So that's let's say it's a commitment to recognizing positive moments in your life. A question that says, did I show I was grateful today? It's not going to drive behavior. So how did I celebrate something good in my life? 
what that does is it incorporates the second thing. The first is don't be yes, no. The second is don't use the actual value in the question. So how was I grateful today? Or what did I do today to show my gratitude? Those don't seem to work as well. Instead, think about what recognizing gratitude actually looks like in terms of behavior. All right, it means acknowledging when something made me feel good. It means not diminishing a cool moment because you've had a better one sometimes. So the question, what did I do today to recognize something good in my life? It gets to the heart of behavior that shows gratitude, but it doesn't use the actual word. All right, so one, it can't be yes, no. Two, don't use the value in the question. Three, try to make sure that you can answer it every day in a lot of different ways. All right, so if you said, uh, how did I write down three things I was grateful for today? All right, well, that's the same thing every single day. I wouldn't go that route. How did I recognize a good moment in my life today? You can answer that every day. You could do it a bunch of different ways. And the last thing I'd suggest, if possible, is make it as personal as you can. And what I just gave you is a very generic version. So let me see. I had a woman where every question that she created for her test was tied to dogs somehow because dogs were her life. She bred dogs. They were surround her. Everything was a dog-related question which means it doesn't make a lot of sense to other people, but it made so much sense to her. So her gratitude might be, what did I let wag my tail today, right? Because that's how a dog shows that it's happy, right? It's wagging its tail at somebody. So that makes no sense to anybody else, right? Like, when did I let my tail wag today? So something good happened and I allowed myself to acknowledge it. That would make no sense to anybody outside of the context of that, but to her, she gets it. She also said, how did I fill someone's water bowl today? for empowerment. What did I do today to scratch behind somebody's ears? I think that was a key piece as well. So tie it to that. I've had people do entire leadership tests based on Game of Thrones. All right, how was I House Stark today? I've had entire ones on Harry Potter. How was I Hermione today for empowerment? That type of thing. Like, how did I use this charm today? Because it's designed to make someone else feel good. All of those things, whatever works for you, I think is so important. So not yes, no. Make sure that it doesn't use the value in the question. Try to make sure you can do it a bunch of different ways and try to make it as personal as possible. Those are key pieces on how to create your best questions. How was I the prize in a cereal box today? I had someone use, how was I Batman today? Because they were really into comics, right? Whatever you get so passionate about in your life, see if you can tie it to your values. If it's a show or a series of books or a movie, what do the characters within that movie do that live up to the values that you care about? If it's a hobby, what are the pieces of that hobby that can be tied to these values? The bigger a part of your life it is, the more personalized it can be, the more likely you're actually going to live those questions, if that makes any sense at all. That makes total sense. And I really like how those questions drive us no matter like the questions are because we work in them subconsciously. But the ability to make it that like new level of personality, like your own personality in the questions it's like such an amazing way to like almost in a sense guarantee that you're going to do those questions because as amazing as this test is, like I found myself personally connected with them. And I think that definitely helped me after watching your talk. I actually like felt connected to you because you're just such an amazing speaker. Well, thanks, but um, having those other ways to like, like that lady with dogs, like being able to wag your tail and those other like ways to make it personal. I feel like that's just such a, like a powerful way to enhance those questions that are already so powerful. I just love but, that. Yeah, 
yeah, what are the best parts? Like, whatever's your favorite thing in life is, what are the parts of that that echo your most important values? I had a pro baseball player say, how did I bunt against the shift today? Because the whole idea of a shift in baseball is that it's an easy base if you'll do it, but there's this like unwritten rule that says it's cheap to bunt to the side of the, like that real people don't, like real athletes don't do that. It's a cheap way of winning. Yeah, but if your team scores, who cares? Because the goal is to get your team to win. And he said it takes courage to lay down a bunt against the shift because everyone's going to roll their eyes and be like, oh, that's not how it's done. Yeah, but if your team wins, that's your job, isn't it? And it takes courage to be willing to put the team above what other people are going to think of you. So just like you said, the more personal it is, the easier you can pull things that you care about in this world. What are the best parts of your favorite things that reflect the best parts of this world? Can we use those? I know when I was watching your TED Talks after the actual talk that you gave to me and my leadership conference, you're talking about the list and how that's like the values that other people, almost like stereotypes that we have to do for success in a way. But how are we able to like not place our values in it? And how are we able to make it so those values don't define us? And how are we able to like to recognize those in our day-to-day lives and see like the list of what other people's definition of success is and how that's like affecting us? Yeah, one of the key pieces of what I talk about is the idea that if you don't clearly define your own values and your own criteria for decision making, that your brain needs to have that filled in. It needs to figure out, okay, what am I going to use to feel good or bad about myself? What am I going to use to make decisions? Your brain needs that information. And if you don't provide it to your brain, it just gets it from wherever is easiest. And so if you don't say, these are my values, and I'm going to use them as my criteria for decision-making, whenever you have to make a decision, your brain needs criteria. If you haven't taken the time to define it, it will search wherever it can. And that will mean it will take other people's versions. If you're going to define what success is in your life, if you haven't clearly defined that for your brain, it needs that information. It will go looking for it anywhere it can. And in the absence of you deciding, it will allow what socially is acceptable to step in for your own beliefs. And I think what happens is when we go through the education system, it is not about figuring out who we want to be. It's about figuring out what we want to do one day. That's what gets asked in education. What do you want to do? Which means how do you want to make money? And as a general rule, every test that we're given through our education system is other people's tests. They demand the answers that they want out of you. And it's our job to please someone else. And then if you give them the answers they want, you do the things that they want, you get rewarded. And so the first 20 most formative years of our lives, all of the rewards that are generated come from pleasing other people, giving them what they want and what it is that you want and what it is that you will use to evaluate yourself is almost irrelevant because all the rewards come from pleasing other people. And we are rewards-based creatures, the full stop. It's not our fault necessarily. But as you get older, the only tests that define who you are and what you want to be, the only things that truly define you as leaders and people are the tests that you choose to give yourself. And we are not taught to do that as we grow up. It's an entirely new thing that when we're adults, all of a sudden, for the first time, the rewards about who we are, how we feel about ourselves and indicating whether or not we're doing the right thing are not given to us externally. It's our job to figure out what we have to live up to to feel fulfilled. And I think what happens then 
is because early on in our lives, we are not taught to be like, what criteria are you going to use to make decisions? What goalposts do you have to reach as a person for you to feel like you are the person that you want to be? We are never taught to focus on that. And as a result, we do not create our own personal goals. What we do is we are always looking for what other people expect. And then we evaluate whether we're doing well or not based on how well we're living up to those. And there are lists of things that we're supposed to use to evaluate ourselves that are given to us in the education system. We don't know that we're internalizing them. It's what I call an untaught lesson, but it teaches us that there's a certain way life's supposed to go. You go, and just for everyone who's wondering what he's talking about when he says the list, I believe that internalized into all of us through education is this belief that your life is supposed to go a certain way. Go to kindergarten and play nice, go to elementary school and do what the teacher tells you, go to high school so you can go to a good college or university, which means do what the teacher tells you, right? Go to a good college or university so you can get a good job, get a good job, get yourself into a serious long-term relationship, get promoted get married, get promoted, buy a house, get promoted, have children, get promoted, get promoted a few more times, retire and make sure your kids do exactly the same thing. That, in the absence of us figuring out our own list of values and the things to which we want to live up to, things to which we want to live up, in the absence of us creating our own benchmarks for success, those are the ones that will be substituted for our own automatically. And because they're encoded through education, we act to actively work to replace those expectations with the ones we have set for ourselves. Because if you chase a list of goals that aren't your own, you will always feel unfulfilled. Because you'll be taught that once you get that into that college or make a certain amount of money or get that particular promotion, you will feel good. But if that wasn't your actual expectation of yourself, What'll happen is you'll get it and then you won't feel as good as you've been taught and then you're going to start to wonder what the hell's wrong with you. And there isn't anything. What's wrong is that we didn't teach it that it should be a fundamental part of all of our development in life to establish our own goals for what success means. And in the absence of our own goals, we will replace them with other people's. And in replacing our goals with other people's goals, we are denying ourselves the satisfaction of reaching them. Because you reach a goal that wasn't actually yours, it's surprisingly unsatisfying. So I want to make people more aware of establishing their own values, their own tests every day, so that when you actually do accomplish them, they feel like an accomplishment. Goals are basically planning celebrations. They really are. And we set goals for our finances and our careers and our relationships. My argument is if we set more goals for our daily life and character, we get to celebrate more often. And the way I think that we frame leadership and success now is that maybe you'll have one or two big successes over the course of a year, but that means you're hardly ever celebrating. If we reframe our goals into daily actions, we allow ourselves to generate a lot more celebrations, if that makes any sense at all. Because let's face it, graduating high school, going to a good college, getting a big promotion, getting married, like... These are big things and they don't happen that often. And if we limit our ability to feel as if we're being successful or not to just these massive moments, we're really diminishing how often we can celebrate in this world. And celebrations build momentum. And so let's actually make it possible for us to celebrate a lot more, build a lot more momentum. And then those big things happen. Like ordinary acts done with extraordinary consistency 
They change worlds. They change careers. They change lives. Ordinary done with extraordinary consistency. That's what's so important. And the list, oh, the list bugs me. That's amazing. And just that ability just to define things and the like extraordinary difference it could actually have on our mindset and our values. And just by defining it and like making sure like we're always checking in, are our values or our goals defined by the list when you're talking about those successful things, quote unquote, that people think are successful. But I think just defining that and actually being able to like look to yourself for those celebration moments and look to yourself for like, hey, I did this today. I did good. I made a difference. I had an impact because I answered this question. I feel like that's amazing for your mental health as well. Not just having that impact on the world, but actually makes you feel like a better person, gives you that enthusiasm to keep going and brings you back to that momentum. It just always keeps you going. I think feel like that's amazing. Every time someone says something nice to us, we kind of deflect it, right? So I'm just trying to give people a way to to just not be able to deny themselves at least a little bit of credit, right? Because even when we get through the toughest things in our world, like we go through hell and then we come out the other side, way too many of us then say, oh, everything happens for a reason, right? Like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Like, you got through something really tough and you should take credit for that. Like, people help you. Obviously, it's not all about you. But when somebody goes through an incredibly difficult thing, comes out the other side and something good happens, and they're like, oh, see, everything happens for a reason. I'm like, don't do that. Take some credit for the strength, the patience, and the perseverance, right? That's kind of what you're getting at there is that the ability to just look and say, I was good there. I was strong there. That's so important. But you know what it is, is that we get humility hammered into us. And look, humility is such an important thing. Like people do not respond well to people who don't have humility to some degree, right? But for what it's worth, anybody listening, humility is not denying what makes you awesome. It is recognizing that what makes you awesome doesn't make you better than other people. And somewhere along the way, I think we became convinced that if I'm humble, it means denying that I'm strong, denying that I'm smart, denying that I made the right decision, denying that I look good, like whatever it is. Like, oh, don't say that because you got to be humble. That is not being humble. That is being self-deprecating. And it's denying yourself, I think, confidence, strength, courage that you were going to need. And so we should not be sacrificing the strength and courage that we need to get through difficult things because it makes other people feel better about us or that we're being careful to not upset people. You should be humble, which is to say that when you do good things, don't allow yourself to think that you're a better human than others. But when we diminish it in the name of just not seeming cocky, what we're doing is we're denying ourselves a celebration. And for anybody out there, humility is such an important thing, but I think we're doing it wrong. So don't ever deny what makes you awesome. That's not humility. That's self-deprecation. Recognize what makes you awesome and put your focus on helping other people do it as well. And at the very least, never allow yourself to feel like you're somehow better than others as a result. That's what humility is about. Yeah, and I feel like that definition of humility has been lost throughout all the years. And I love when you define that because it actually makes you like think about all the different things that we may have also lost. Idea of like self-respect or respecting others just means blindly following them in the classroom. But in a way, I'm not always taught that depending on the classroom, but respect means shutting up and blindly following the teacher no matter what. But respect could also mean questioning them sometimes and making them like wonder themselves and stuff. So I feel like your ability to 
define humility in such an amazing way makes you also think about like all those other definitions that we may have messed up throughout the years. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because education teaches us conformity more than courage sometimes. But I certainly don't want people out there disrespecting their teachers for no reason. So I think the big question is, are we questioning to learn more? Are we questioning to make someone look bad? And, you know, that happens all the time. You do Q&As and someone asks you a question. You're like, there is no interest in the answer to that question. What you wanted to do was ask it in order to try to make someone look bad simply by posing it to them. So it's disrespectful to send a question at someone when you have no interest at all in their answer. You just feel that the very fact you asked it makes them look dumber. And so it is not disrespectful to question if the reason that you're questioning is because you genuinely want to understand better. But sometimes people just use the actual question as a weapon to be like, I'm going to ask you this because I know it's going to make you look dumb or I think it's going to make you look dumb. So, hey, challenge what you're told by authority sometimes, but do it out of a place of genuine curiosity as opposed to, I'm just going to try to start a fight here. I think there's a real important distinction there because I always want to make that clear to students. There's an old... I think it's by Marshall McLuhan, the Canadian thinker, who said, we don't know who first discovered water, but we're pretty sure it wasn't a fish. The idea being that it would never occur to a fish to look for water. It's the only thing it's ever known. And when you're young and your entire life has been within the education system, very rarely does it occur to the fish that are the students of our society to question the water in which they swim, which is the system and how it's set up. And when you do challenge it, It's like you're not being curious, you're being insubordinate. And I think it's important to recognize to what is the water in which we swim? What is the reality we've always known so that we never question it? We don't even pay attention. And what is worth questioning? Because a lot of things that are in front of us every day, we never question. And that is a problem. But I always wanted to say, don't just be like, I'm going to challenge everything that comes near me because I don't like the people telling me that. That's gotten us in trouble all around the world right now, is that just because I don't like the people telling us this, I'm going to ignore what they say. And I'm going to question it, not because I'm curious or because I want to better understand, just because of who's asking it. There's an important distinction there I always want to put out to people. Leaders don't weaponize questions in order to shut other people up. I think all the things you're mentioning, like that it's not that our school system is corrupt in a way or something, but it's almost like the systemic change of it, like slowly just morphing into that. So with all the things that you've talked about and all the different, like, I don't want to say lessons, but in a way, ways to live by and actually like helpful things, which I found were really amazing when I implemented them in my life. How are we able to like make that and like turn it into the school system? Or how are we able to implement those ways and teach others? Or is it a responsibility that we always need to be taking on ourselves instead of forcing it upon other people to make that change? Everything you just said is a yes. I want to be clear. Like I lived in the education system and I love teachers. I really do. When I wrote my book, honestly, it was nurses and teachers I was thinking about when I wrote the book. These are untaught lessons that are the result of a system that has to evaluate huge numbers of people and has to boil it down to numbers. And anytime you do that, you can only measure one type of intelligence. And when the rewards come from basically two places when you're young, your academic achievement, or your athletic achievement, it is natural that focus is always going to pivot towards how can I best develop those because that's where the rewards come from. Ultimately, what would have to happen 
is we would have to change what we fundamentally reward in the education system. Because you can talk about saying to people, hey, look, it's just not your grades that matter. You also have to become a good person. One of the things I try to say to every student is you should work incredibly hard to make your grades extraordinary, but you should work twice as hard to make them the least impressive thing about you. That sounds good, but if there are no extra rewards at the time for making your grades the least impressive thing about you, then it's really hard to convince people to put their time and effort into doing it. Like imagine if I told you, if you can run a marathon, I will give you $10 million, okay? At the end of the marathon, if you can juggle as well, I'm going to give you a quarter million dollars, $250,000. Getting $250,000 to be able to juggle, you will put time and energy into learning how to juggle, but not if it means taking away from the training that's going to lead to 10 million, right? And what we're doing now is, despite the fact we're telling students that you need to be good people, and we're going to do character development, and we're going to do civic engagement, etc., that's the $250,000 for juggling at the end. But the SAT scores, that's running the marathon. That's your $10 million. And until we start to treat them with the same level of respect, until we start to reward students who make other people around them better, who behave in ways that show character and integrity, not because it's going to get them into a good school, but because it's rewarded in the same way. People are always going to go to where the rewards are. Even awesome people are going to say, you know what? I can't focus as much on where the rewards aren't going to come from. And so it's key, I think, that we find a way within the education system to better measure and celebrate behaviors that enhance society, that enhance other people's ability to succeed, that reward students who make those around them better instead of just the students that outperform. There's a lot of change that have to go there. Look, and I'm not saying that because we can't change the whole system that we shouldn't do exactly what you said, which is to individually carve out ways that we embrace that for all the young people listening, but for educators and parents out there as well. Ask yourself, where do you hand out rewards? And do you give more for academic achievement and athletic achievement than you do for character development and ethical decision-making and behavior. Because if you reward differential rewards from one to the other, you are teaching what's truly important. And no matter how much an individual might want to do the juggling, they're going to focus on the marathon. And we've got to find a way to make the prize money a little bit more equal, if that makes any sense. That's amazing. Yeah. And just that idea of those rewards that might not seem visible, like I personally feel like right now, going through the school system, that graduating high school with all A's or getting to an amazing college gives me more rewards than making someone feel better at lunchtime. Making someone like sit next to me and like complimenting them and ask them how their day is doing. I feel like those rewards are nowhere near each other. And I feel like just as a culture, we need to be able to recognize the amazing things that you're mentioning here and talk about those rewards and talk about how we're actually bestowing them upon the world and things like that. It's just an amazing thing. And let's acknowledge it, man. One of those things is hard to measure and the other isn't. You know, like how you make someone feel at lunch is awfully hard to quantify. How well you did in history isn't. And when you got millions of people going through it, so I just want to be clear on that. I recognize what I'm suggesting isn't easy or is it something that can be done in one major overhaul. But there are things that are starting to happen right? Like more and more businesses are not demanding college and university degrees, which allows people who want to have a successful life to believe that they don't have to jump through a debt generating hoop 
to do so, right? I think that we're seeing more and more colleges encouraging students to take gap years, all right, so that they're actually welcoming in students who are more than just their grades. But what you just said isn't untrue. You do get rewarded more for getting great grades than you do for making somebody feel good at lunch. So we're counting on people recognizing that I got to choose to do that. And it's almost like an extra. I think it does teach us something, right? When being decent is an extra, right? Like it's not the core demand. It's the nice addition afterwards. But that's not how life works after you graduate. The problem is we put school at the beginning. And by the time we figure out what we should be learning from it, we put it into our rear view mirror. But then again, there's the old guy being like, oh, if I'd only known. But the more we can let young people know that their leadership exists in individual moments and that for most of their life, they will be evaluated by that more than how well they write tests, the better off we're going to be. The challenge is we also have to be forgiving with ourselves and other people that by the time you're 40 years old and you're in the workplace, if that's all you've ever been taught, you know what? It's hard to convince someone to prioritize other behaviors. And we got to be patient and empathetic with ourselves and each other when we realize that we're living in a world that taught us certain things. And it's scary as hell to suggest that everything we've ever accepted as truth might not be as true as we think. It's not as easy as being like, oh, I'll just adapt my behavior. I'll adapt the way I think. We're talking about yanking the carpet out from the very foundation of what a lot of us were led to believe. That's hard. And I think it takes patience and compassion and empathy to realize and not be as frustrated with people when they're like, nope, I'm working 90 hours a week to become senior vice president. Like, that's not dumb. I don't look at people like that and go, oh, you've got your priorities messed up. I'm like, that person is reacting to what they were taught. And maybe all of us with podcasts like this and me getting to do speeches for students on occasion and to talk to culture creators and businesses, one step at a time, we can maybe get people to think of it a little bit differently, to give themselves more credit for the impact they have, and to start to more consciously create it every day. If I am well-known because of a talk on a lollipop moment, and the instance, then the whole idea of my TED Talk was to say, our most transformational leadership moments are in these individual moments, a lot of which we don't even notice. But the idea of that moment, it was an accident. What I think we really got to talk about is how not to let the best parts of our character show up accidentally or unconsciously or just by fluke. Why are we creating it every day? I think we can. I really, really do. That's amazing. And I think just those ways that we can actually recognize that when you're talking about everyday leadership, maybe it's also those everyday changes we can make. Maybe recognizing someone who took that time and sat down next to that someone, finding them after school. And like you're saying, like leadership recognized is leadership created. And finding those ways to actually recognize those changes, those positive changes that are happening towards those systems and stuff, and actually respecting people who say, oh yeah, my, like, my main goal is to become a CEO of a company, respecting that that's all they've been taught. That's all they know. And respecting that in a way that we can actually still teach them in a way that we can't be mean. Like, like you said, not asking questions just to downgrade someone, but asking them because you're curious. And those ways that we can actually be genuine in the ways we have to do things, but... That's just an amazing thing that we have to slowly work towards. And the idea that changes that no one else notices except you are valid changes, right? School taught us that the good things we do are going to get graded. For a lot of you listening, you started to realize that we have got to be able to celebrate things that nobody else graded. We've got to be able to celebrate changes we made that nobody else sees. That is a new lesson, right? To start to feel as good about stuff that 
reaching goals you set for yourself quietly that no one else gets to see, to realize that they're as important is crucial. Yeah, and I think that's hard for many people because that's all they've known is to do those things that have been recognized and do those things that make other people like look at you and say, oh, wow, such a good person. But like just by actually making that your one thing or making that your one question you have to answer every day or just lead to all those positive impacts and almost within a way self-love. And you're finding those ways to like actually feel happy about your life from yourself and from your own mind instead yeah. of from these other people telling you, oh, wow, you got a 96% on that test. That's amazing. Or, oh, wow, you got this huge promotion. That's amazing. Actually putting your values and your ways that you can like actually feel good fully and truthfully with this like pale sense of accomplishment into those values and stuff is just so important and something we should always be trying to do. Yeah. The more goals you set that you can reach every day, the more celebrations you get to have every day. And let's break our leadership down at those individual moments. And I think we all can. And honestly, I don't get to talk to students very often. Where When you saw me speak, is I don't get to speak to high school students very often. And the chance to get to do it and to hear that it mattered is so crucial because I don't change my message for students when I go and speak to them because it's just a matter of adults can hear this just as well. It's just we didn't give it to them when they were kids. And so I'm not saying replace everything you've ever been taught about what leadership and success is. I'm saying let's supplement it and give ourselves the opportunity to celebrate more of it and to not act as if what we're celebrating is like some consolation prize. Oh, you can still feel good even if you're not senior VP. I'm not trying to do it that way. And I'm also not trying to minimize what you've accomplished if you're a senior VP. Not in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying that we've made leadership exclusionary. And the more people within our organizations and our society that are willing to recognize that the things they engage in matter. They're not little things. They're not throwaway things. I had a CEO point out to me once that, man, the people that have the most interaction with our customers and therefore the biggest impact on how people talk about us, view us, rank us, they're the people we pay the least. Almost every company, the people who have the biggest interaction with your customers are the people that you pay the least. We'd better start making sure these people realize that what they do on a daily basis really, really matters. And the problem is we live in a society where if you don't compensate it financially, it's hard to convince people of that. But anybody who's had a server be rude to them, anyone who's been a server and had someone be rude to you, you know, that has a much bigger impact on your daily experience than what the hell the CEO of the restaurant is doing that day. That's where differences are made. And most of the big leadership on this planet is coming from people who don't think that they're leaders. We got to start to change that. Because when people realize that they, what they do matters, I think they're more careful in what they do. That's amazing. I just want to thank you so much for all these ideas you're actually sharing with us. And not that they're just like small ideas. They're insanely huge. Like they might seem simple and easy to do, which is almost the best part of them. And I just wanted to thank you so much for actually bringing that into this almost as a world and giving your amazing ideas of ways we can make that change. I just want to thank you so much. Hey, thanks for doing something that lets people have a platform to do that because that's leadership as well. Like, hey, it's one thing for me to put my ideas out in the world. You guys put everybody's ideas out into the world. So like empowerment's a core value for me and to actually basically create a trampoline for ideas. Hey, I get to share mine. But don't sell your folks, you guys, don't sell yourself short for what you're doing here. It's like you've got a trampoline for ideas. You toss them on, they bounce on out there. And I think that's a kind of a cool thing to get to do every day. I miss the chance to, to be in front of groups of people, of students every day to do that. So I'm so honored to get the chance to be a part of what you're doing here. You should be proud of it because it's leadership. 
Thank you so much. There, I got to answer one of my questions. <laughs> That's awesome. Drew, thank you for being here. Listeners, I'm going to make sure I put the link to Drew's book in the show notes. This is day one. I'm going to put a link to his TED Talk as well, which is great. So you can check that out. Drew, a, a huge honor. This was a, a first ever father-son duo interview. Cayman did most of the work. This is great. Cayman, great job on your first podcast hosting. This is wonderful. And Drew, again, keep up the amazing work as you influence brands from the inside out as they continue to be leaders in the world and, and, and have an impact on all people. And I love that you are flipping, I think, the patterns of this world and you're switching things onto its head so that we can look at it differently. So appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. It's a real honor. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week on Marketing News Canada. Drew Dudley's book is available wherever books are sold. Be sure to check that book out and uh, see different ways you can apply it to your life. Thank you so much for so much that you've shared today. Cademan, thank you for hosting today's episode. It was a real honor and thrill and a joy to watch you host your very first podcast interview. So Cademan Kovacs, 15 years old, first podcast interview. You have witnessed it, heard it for the very first time. And again, thank you for joining us on Marketing News Canada, and we'll see you next time on the show. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.